welcome to the Drawn to Scale podcast. I'm your host, Pablo Cortez, and I might be joining us a little later today. But for this week, our guest is uh, Michael Todoran. Um, Michael is a landscape designer, artist, and host of the Landscape Architecture podcast. Um, we're doing something a little different today where we're going to talk about some of the failures that we've had in our careers and how what we've learned from them. Michael, thank you for, for agreeing to be on this episode of the podcast. I know it's a little different than what we've done in the past. So thanks again for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your podcast and I'm a big fan of you as well. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, we're big listeners of, of the Landscape Architecture podcast as well over here, man. Um, so since you're our guest, I thought I'd give you sort of first dibs on <laughs> to tell your story, maybe a little bit of what you learned from it. Sure. So, um, <clears throat> I've publicly talked a lot about my failures in personal life and landscape architecture and um, all of that. So for today's episode, I thought I would go a little bit non-traditional as far as like, and we could get in, I've certainly had plenty of failures within landscape architecture within the field, but, but I wanted to share with you guys like one of the most important failures that I've ever had. And I'm pretty sure that we could draw some correlations between what I learned from that and um, how it affects how I think and lessons that, that we could kind of take away from it. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of have to give you a little bit of backstory um, on this particular failure. So in 1998, I was serving in the United States Coast Guard and I was stationed in Honolulu, Hawaii on a buoy tender. And that's those boats that pick up the buoys and scrape them and clean them, like the aids to navigation lights and all that stuff. And they, then we dump them back in the water. So while the location seemed like an ideal billet, like the work was really hard, long hours, and incredibly dangerous. So some consider the work on an old buoy tender in the South Pacific might be one of the top 10 most dangerous jobs in the world. And to illustrate the danger point, we were dealing with buoys that weighed up to 10,000 pounds. The weight of the buoy on the deck of the steel chains attached to the you know chains were heavy and maintaining this type of work would be dangerous enough on land. Um, but add to that being on a moving boat, a slippery deck, um, and that exponentially increases the danger and utmost requirement of your team because your lives literally depend on it, right? Like everyone has to be on top of their game. So to set the stage even more, our boat was built in 1944. We had 80 sailors berthing within the confines of 180 feet. 80 people, 180 feet. That's a lot. And given this boat was older, it was not capable of berthing females, which made for a really rough crew. Lots of swearing, lots of spitting, callous hands, salty sailors. Like, it was rough, right? <laughs> um, and there's nothing more fearful to a sailor than a fire on a boat, right? That's like very scary because there's nowhere to go um you could be burned alive right so if the fire is not put out quickly the consequences can be from burning alive trapped into a compartment of the boat or abandoning ship and neither of these are desirable outcomes and to combat fires we trained frequently with intensity on how to fight fires within a ship and the training was frequently done internally with the command um, for familiarity and then an annual visit by the navy to assess our capability to fight fires. And the Navy visits were really intense with simulated smoke, flashing lights to simulate the light on fire, uh, staging injuring bodies with fake blood and live oxygen masks, 
And even though it was a simulation, uh, your adrenaline felt like it was real, right? It was so intense and the consequences were so high that you actually felt like it was a real fire um, and you get, you know, all of that that comes with it. Okay, so the way these staging events were held was that you were broken up into teams and everybody had their specific objectives. And these events lasted for several days and we were rated on performance. Um, and I would like, uh, I, I think it's important to note that at this point in the military, you have def several different types of people, right? The median exists of people who are just like doing their jobs and, you know, like they're proud and they like they, they do their work. Um, they usually do their four years, get out, take the GI Bill, get a school loan, all that stuff like that. We called them, right? And then there were guys that were like hard chargers. And these are guys that lived and breathed the Coast Guard, and it seemed like they lost their identity to the Coast Guard, right? And then there were um, another minority was like the disgruntled, disgruntled group. And these guys usually felt like they were like they've been cheated by the military or they regret joining, right? And they no longer wanted to serve. And we had the plethora, we had all of the, we had the, the gamut of these people on, on this ship, right? Um, okay, so with those different types of attitude and understand the rough setting, I'll tell you where the failure was and what I learned. So we were doing this training and this one particular day my buddy um he hurt his back right and so he couldn't train he couldn't do the drill in his position right so there was a number one hoseman and then a number two hoseman right and these were like like the alphas right like these are the guys that are going to go run into the room hold the fire hose if that guy gets hurt the number two hoseman changes places picks up the hose and you switch out, right? So it's like the most responsibility, the most dangerous type situation. Now, because he hurt his back, he's like, yo, Toto, because that's what they call me in the military because my last name is Todoran, and they just give you a nickname, right? <laughs> and um, so he's like, hey, Toto, uh, I, can't, I can't fill my billet today. Will you train in my place for my team? Because it's a competition. We, we want to win, right? And I was like, yeah, no problem. I got it. So... <clears throat> This is my first time on this particular team, and these are all alpha males. Everyone's really competitive. Everybody wants to win. It feels like a real fire. We're doing the drills, and the team that I'm subbing on is doing great, right? <clears throat> Everything is going well. We did the fire. We're, we're winning, you know, we're winning the drills. We're getting all the points. And then right at the end, like the Navy officers that were there, like inspecting us, looked at me, pointed at me, and he goes, fail. Right? And I was like, what? And he's like, look at your oxygen mask. You didn't pull down the lever. You'd be dead. Right? And I was like, oh, fuck. Right? And then the other team won, right? Because I failed. Like I subbed in. I didn't do my job and I failed. And I let everybody down on that team who like really wanted it. Um, even the like disgruntled people and even like the hard chargers, like all everywhere around the, wherever you were mentally, you still wanted to win. And I felt really bad because like, okay, I let them down. If it was a real fire, somebody could have got really hurt. Okay. So then I walk off and 
that that was it, right? You know, everyone like on that team like looked at me like kind of disappointed, but they're like, they get it, but you know, still disappointed. So two weeks later come and they put a sheet up on the board on who's on the fire team. Oh, sorry, I forgot the most important part. So after that, I went up to the chief of that team and I said, hey, chief, look, I'm really sorry. Um, I let your guys' team down. Um, and that's it. That's all I did. I just went up to him directly, look him in the, looked him in the eye and said, I'm really sorry. Okay, two weeks later, they post on the board that says what the new teams are. And I look and it says, Tadoran, number two hoseman on that team. And I was like, well, that must be a mistake. So I went over to that same chief and I said, chief, I was like, hey, I think you made a mistake. You know, they, they accidentally left me on as number two hoseman. I was just filling in on a spot. He says, no. He said, you showed character and integrity and you failed and you made the team fail, but you understood what happened. And I don't think it's going to happen again, right? And I was like, no, sir. Well, not sir, because you don't ever call it enlisted sir. But I said, no, chief. <clears throat> and he goes, okay. And I was like, wow. What an amazing leader, right? Like he took a failure and then he actually, he um, empowered me to be even stronger, right? And I think that that's something that I've always carried with me where now when I, whenever I worked for him, I worked just that much harder, right? That much harder to impress him, that much harder not to make a mistake. And I think that we need a lot more of that, right? When people fail, it's a perfect opportunity to uplift them and move them forward as opposed to, oh, well, you didn't get this deadline out in time. Like, we're going to pick somebody else on the next time we do this, right? Or so on and so forth. So that lesson really, it's impacted my life. And that was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Have you had um, anything like that come up in your uh, career as a designer where maybe you've had somebody hop out with some of the work and, you know, the a situation came up where there was an opportunity to be able to to I guess like a teaching moment right a lot a lot of times um I've I've had it happen to me as um as a lecturer at Cal Poly with students that have like come up short um and then I've also had it at um um in the work and in, in environment um and then you know, the integrity part on my end, like it just rewarded that too. So it was like, okay, this is a good thing. You don't have to, you know, be embarrassed or try to lie or, you know, just if you own it right away, it just works, right? It might sting, right? Because nobody likes to admit. Actually, I'll give you a perfect example. I think we were chatting about this right before, um, right before, you know, we got on the podcast where, I was working on a design, um, so I have my own freelance, you know, where I design uh, residential, and I did this beautiful design that I was very proud of. Um, the architect liked it, the clients liked it, I liked it. Everybody was so happy with it, right? I felt like I just nailed it first shot, right? <laughs> Which never happens, right? It's always a good feeling, yeah. 
Yeah, and we had all these retaining walls, and <clears throat> and uh, we took it to the city, and the city said no, you can't, you can't, you can't do that, right? So we, the architect decided to take out the retaining walls, wipe out the site flat, and then build one retaining wall that went on the um, north, east, and west side that was nine foot tall. So now we have this flat space and this angular thing. And I had to redo the design. And when I did the design the second time, I didn't put my heart into it, right? I know it's it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I half-assed it, right? I just wanted to kind of get something out the door. I procrastinated. And then when it was due, I worked on it last minute. And I just kind of gave them like a shit design. Yeah, especially if you okay. put so much time and effort into the first round, right? Now, yeah. Like, okay, well, now I got to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an excuse, but it's the reality. Like sometimes, yeah, as a human, sometimes, hey, that happens, right? And so we had a meeting. I presented it in front of the architect, the interior designer, the clients, and their faces. Oh, you could just read the room. They were just not happy, right? And they're just like, this isn't this isn't this isn't the magic that we saw. This isn't why we hired you. You know, and they didn't say it directly, but I felt it. Oh, and it hurt so bad. And so I let that kind of marinate for a day or two and then I emailed them and I said, Hey, I failed you guys. I gave you guys a lackluster design. I rushed it. I didn't put my heart into it. And that was that. And I sent it out. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to get fired. Maybe there'll be like, like litigious re repercussions. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> right. Cause it was a big, big design fee. Right. <clears throat> so they, they emailed me back and they said, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your integrity. We think you're creative. We like you. We like your work. Let's give it another go. Now, how much harder do you think I worked on that second time around? Right. And I just, I'm actually... Like I was in Rhino like minutes before this recording, just trying to make it even even better. And that all goes back to that one lesson that I learned. It's, if you can learn that lesson early on, <laughs> right, in your career, that's a that's a good it's um, a good lesson to uh, to take on to to learn from. Um, yeah, thanks, Michael. That was that was a good story, a good uh, a good lesson for sure. Um, I think I, I can kind of add a little bit to that and the whole um, maybe not being completely honest, especially early on in my career, there were times where I would, say I would take on work that, you know, yeah, I was learning at the time how to, you know, work in an office environment and how to actually work with projects um, for a company. In my mind, I knew how to use the software, right? I knew how to use AutoCAD. I knew how to use Photoshop um, for the basics. Um, never in a way where it was to help a company build a project, right? Or get a project out, of that, especially when, when they're getting paid for it. Um, and that's a, it takes, it's a whole different sort of approach and, and, and dynamic, especially with the, the company owners, right? How efficient you are and how... Um, what you can actually produce. Um, so I think one of my biggest failures was in that, in how uh, just starting my career in landscape architecture, right? Um, I, like I said, I went into work completely green and I didn't really have a whole lot of experience working in that firm environment. 
um, I had the skills down, but um, never and how to implement them into um, for a company that's focused on making a profit, right? Um, I saw I saw my presence and at the same hiring me as a necessity, right? I they needed somebody in there to be able to produce, um, and not really I didn't really see it as a as an asset to them where they would use my presence as a way to grow and improve the company. It was it was basically work. Right. right, there's a difference between work and and a career, um, and initially my my thought was this this is work this is what I what I get to work on, um, so as a result of that my day to day routine was it just significantly and I think this happens to a lot of people especially early on um, significantly predictable right with just tons of drafting work you're on AutoCAD all the time um, irrigation design where you're dropping in symbols and connecting and connecting zones and, and placing plant symbols on on plans um that was that was a, a you know 110 percent of the work at that time sure um so having said that you know I, I never made an effort to learn about the business end of the lands of landscape architecture and the companies that i worked for um and what makes them successful right because they rely on, on the people they hire to kind of create that success um i just saw it part of as a part of the job and not necessarily i guess interesting right because when you're young as at least when i was younger the business end of things didn't really interest me it wasn't something mm -hmm. that i sought after you don't learn about it in um at least not in depth in school so it wasn't something that was on my mind especially early on i don't know if you've had if if that's the same the same situation for you in school whether you had any kind of business training um you know, for us, it wasn't. It was very limited, and we it's stuff that we sought ourselves. So, you know, it's just over time and being able to work with a variety of different companies and different people and just kind of learning how they do things and how, how these companies uh, hire. So where do you see the failure part? It was the failure in not recognizing early on for me that that was how I was able to use my skills to be able to help out those companies and those people, you know, actually uh, grow and, and advance their businesses like I said to me it was just work and I think that hindered me uh, a lot because I you know I I'm 40 I'm 40 years old right now um, I didn't really start my career <laughs> till about you know six seven years ago when I everything kind of clicked and I started to actually try to produce and, and help out and and and, um, and learn about the um, the business that I think because I think unless unless you're um, unless you're content in your position as a drafts person like i was early on there's not going to be a whole lot of growth in that um within a company um so i think for me my that was that's that's where i feel i failed is in not learning that early on and you know i, I don't know if i don't know if i can i don't know is blame myself the right word because i was young and you know well reflective yeah right? yeah exactly exactly so i think that i think that um if i had any kind of advice piece of advice is if you're early on in your career yeah this stuff may seem like it's out of your um out of your league or out of your your knowledge base but if if you make an effort to to learn it i don't know about you michael but that stuff that business part of it it's not difficult to find and and learn right you can kind of look and, and read some articles and some books and kind of get the basis of it down um so i think it's uh I think if I had done that early on, it would have kind of made a different, I would have made different choices early on in my career. Right. My takeaway from your story is that, is that I think it's important for people early on in their career to understand that it's a, like a cohesive unit in order to make everything work, right? Like if you just kind of come in 
clock in, check out, do your work, and bounce out. You know, not being considerate of how long something takes. You know, billable man hours, all of that stuff. Like, you could actually be hurting the company, and you're probably thinking that you're going to be moving on in a year or two anyway, right? And But if you look at it as, like, with some empathy on how difficult it is to run a business, how difficult it is for a landscape architecture company to pay health insurance, to keep the lights on, to go for new work. And if you start looking at it at a different angle, then you're like, okay, well, I could actually be contributing to the success of this company, right? And if you think about, even if you're going to move on, right? Even if you get your two years, get your experience, right? And then, you know, climb the ladder up with a different company. I think that attitude is like really important to have. And I heard this a lot, you know, especially in my career where, you know, the S is a lot of, especially in Southern California, it's kind of a tight group of landscape architect firms where everybody kind of knows somebody that works somewhere or they've worked with them in the past. So if you're, like you said, if you're taking the time early on to be able to be a, um, you know, an actual asset to that person or to that company and you move on, even if that is a plan, that person is going to know someone that you know wherever everybody you decide to go to everybody. and everybody talks everybody kind of you know they get they have we there's these there's these there's at the asla functions right there where people meet up people show up and they talk and they kind of discuss things um between themselves and um you know your name might come up and you know it'll come up whether you're uh you're the kind of person that just showed up and clocked in and out yeah did a little bit of work or if you were actually um providing something a little more and you don't have to go too crazy either, right? You don't have to like, you just have to just appreciate, like, here's a little example that I thought was a little, well, I'm not going to share that one. But one example is like, everybody knows everybody. And then because of my podcast, I particularly know a lot of people all across, all across the nation, right? And we had, I had one student who was just notoriously difficult and then um, this student asked me to give them a recommendation letter, right? And I was like, I don't know if I could do that, right? You know, because now it's like, it's like my name. And also, you know, like, I just, yeah, I just, you, you know, you, you like you could look at it as like a strategic way right to like work hard and like be an asset but um you know for your long-term career goals but it's much better if you look at it it's just this is just the right thing to do you know just to, it feels a lot better inside as a person um especially if it's if it's going to help you in the end where you're you know if you do see yourself sort of getting licensed or doing your own thing that's definitely something that you can work towards early on yeah i mean this has been a, a i think a good conversation um it's a different episode for us. Uh, looks like Annalisa couldn't join us, um, but I think I think we're okay with what we have. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Anything? Yeah, that you wanna... I'm curious as to what um, I'm curious as to what sparked this interest this 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 interest for you to record this this episode this topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, it 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 really is kind of just a lot of reflection on how I got to being able to start a company like my own firm and just since I'm also looking or I've been sort of in the process of hiring people on 
right? I've been working with a few uh, independent contractors that help out with some of the work. And as more and more work comes in, the idea is to be able to hire on as, as employees, right? Full-time employees. So I'm kind of, you know, on some of the downtimes I spent looking at how that works and, you know, whether once once I actually do hire somebody, you know, what the benefits are, what the hours are like, it's it's going to be strictly uh, working from home type of situation. So that all stuff has to kind of balance out. So it's just kind of looking at it and see how, especially trying to find the right people, right, to be able to do that. And I think that's just a process in and of itself. And I don't know, it just kind of got me thinking. Right now, you know, let's say your workforce is three, like you and two others, right? And you know, you hire two amazing people and they do work and it's the three of you. And if one of them drops off to, you know, go find somebody else, um, that's 33.33% of your, your capabilities, right? I mean, maybe you pull a little, I mean, obviously you pull a little more weight being the owner, but um, that's significant. Yeah, and I think, especially, especially if, if there's, a, a good flow of work coming in right yeah that needs to get out yeah right and then to hire somebody else train them how your systems work familiarize them with the jobs and then if they're you know th i think the hardest thing about being a small company is that when i worked at large companies they could absorb my training right like when i worked at, at a really big firm for the first year I felt like I was just in training. And then after that, I hit my stride and I was like, you know, able to like, like really contribute. I mean, I did contribute. I did a lot of stuff. But after that year was when I was a real asset. Right. And it's like, how do you feel about hiring somebody that's really green? Like, can you do it at your stage or, or is it, is it, does it not work for you because you just couldn't afford it? I think right now it wouldn't work just because of the time that it would take to get that person up to speed. Like you said, a year is probably a good time to be able to have somebody fully engulfed in the way we do things. Um, it's been working out with the independent contractors because they're doing things their own way, right? They have their systems in place and they can turn around things pretty quick, which is which has been nice. But as soon as you have that person that comes in to work for you where they're logging into your system and using all your software and your, your standards, um, that's the training part, right? It's going to be a little more involved. And I think if we're hiring somebody that's green coming in, somebody just out of school, I think if, if you know, if it's just right now where it's just myself, I would be the one taking full responsibility for the training, which I just don't have the time for. Like throughout the week, it's just not going to work. So if we had a team in place by then, then, you know, hopefully that can kind of get distributed out, which is the plan. That's that's another thing. Like, how do you do that with a mobile workforce, right? People working from home. Is it stuff like this, you know, in, on a screen or do you actually get together and where do you get together? So it's all these things that you got to think about moving forward. Luckily, I think I'm enough early on where I can start to <laughs> look at that stuff and figure it out right as, as i as i go along yeah how do you feel personally then about um like okay so if you do the math it would be difficult for you to train somebody right now however what about if somebody said look like i understand your situation but i'm eager eager to learn can i do an unpaid internship how do you feel yeah, about that i mean i i 
I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I like to pay people for the work and their efforts, um, and I think an internship deserves that. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I don't. I wouldn't feel right not paying for somebody spending the time to learn. But what if it was the difference between them not learning at all, or not? You know, like do you, do you know what I mean? What if they in their minds it was it was um, it was a beneficial arrangement they're like look like i like i need this you know yeah no absolutely i think that's definitely an option i just haven't thought about it like i said because i i feel like people should get paid but if that's something that you know especially and and i think you're right right if if it's not something they're doing 40 hours a week right then that's probably something that we can i can definitely take a look at the reason why i brought it up is because there was there's so much talk about that about you know um unpaid internships being wrong and it's like uh comes from a place where people have privilege and so on and so forth so there's a big debate going on about whether it's right or wrong and i'm I'm very curious to you know talk about other people how you know what you know there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to see things right and it's like um I guess the where I came to is like with like lightly paid <laughs> internships or unpaid internships, right? It all depends on especially if they're unpaid and they're working for you, then you have to give them work that will benefit their career, right? You can't just say, "Hey, I need you to um do this menial task for eight hours, three days a week, that is not going to help you at all. I think that's where my issue comes in, where it's like, if it's that, I think there should be a distinction between this is a task that's going to make the company money or it's a task that is teaching you how the company runs. Right. I think that's two different things. And the one where the company makes money, say it's laying out a planting plan, that's going to get sent over to a client that they have paid for. I think that deserves some kind of compensation, right? If the if if you're just learning how to create the sheet set or the plan or right if it if it's a if it's a training act, I guess that's the word, right? It, it then that might be more leaning towards the unpaid internship, but I think as soon as as soon as the company's making money off of your efforts, then that should definitely be compensated in some way. Yeah. 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 Even if it's not a lot. You right. know, yeah. like like yeah. just, hey, this is what I could do at this time. And the way that I've handled it is I've hired uh, people that I know, especially when I was like really early and I just was not making that much money, right? Because I didn't have that many jobs going on. And I said, this is what I could afford right now. I know it's not a lot, right? And they're like, hey, it's still worth it for me to do. Right. I've even given them camera equipment. I've done all kinds of stuff. And then what I like to do is then tip tip them out. Right. So this is what I said I would give you like this flat fee. Right. Because the flat fees work for me because the way it was like, well, you could. This is what I would think that this job is worth. Right. This is what I could afford. And then however much you want to put into it is kind of like on your own. Right. So they could stop when when they want. And then when I Venmo them the money, then I would give them, you know, a hundred dollar bonus, like without them just being like, Hey, thank you so much. This is a little bit extra. And that's the way that I've kind of made it work in my mind that I feel 
good about and they appreciate it sometimes it's only even 50 bucks extra and they're like thank you you know that's that's a meal in an uber somewhere like yeah no it's definitely something to think about right how that moving forward how that would fit in like i said i hadn't thought about it because i felt they should get paid but if there's a if we can make that distinction then that, that might be a better way to go about it so so talking about failures what worries you as a business owner like i'm sure that you sometimes can't sleep at night thinking about all the projects or the businesses do you like is there a failure that you think could happen you like work at to avoid right uh, yeah i mean the biggest part like 80 percent of my job right now is to get new work right the i think the the biggest sort of threat to the business is just not having any opportunities that come up where you can at least seek out that work um luckily right now it's been a pretty steady flow so we're, we're the company's set for work for the rest of the year and you know early on into 2022 but yeah keeping that sort of in mind that you have to go after clients and you have to get up to get after work um yeah i think that's the biggest thing if that stuff dries up if there's nowhere to go to be able to say hey this is what we do so we can provide and no one's you know needs a needs a service and that's where i'm going to start looking at um i don't know what else to do right because that that would definitely affect the company um yeah and then just a little stuff like what if my server goes down right or what if my internet access goes down or what if i lose them it's just stuff like that luckily you know we have some stuff in 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 place that will mitigate that, that those kind of issues but it's always something that can just stop work and things like that sometimes you don't know how long <laughs> it would it would take to to recover from but yeah how do you deal yeah. with your billing? Uh, billing is uh, it's all done through uh, FreshBooks, so I've been yep, using that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it makes it easy to send out an email, and um, a lot of times clients will they like the credit card option, which is so they can just and and if it works for us because the money comes in and it's it's able to be in as soon as possible. Um, and you're okay with that fee that FreshBooks takes? Yeah, I have to be for the most yeah, part. Yeah, there's no choice. It, you know, right? yeah. There's no choice. It's it is a convenience. It's to us and to them, to the client. So it's it's just a part of it now. And um, but yeah, I mean, I'm the one kind of doing that. The billing as projects come in or they need to go out. I'm kind of going through everything and and making sure stuff gets out. And the the, the credit card also reduces that. Uh, hey, you haven't paid your bill in a couple of days since the past due date, right? So it kind of reduces that on my hand which is really awkward but i hate that part i hate chasing the money on on for for clients so um has situo had any like the company itself had a big failure we've had a couple of projects this year where we just weren't able to fulfill how so so we had we had a contract written up we had everything was kind of signed off on the project was started site visits measurements we actually i think a couple of them we even delivered a uh concepts mm -hmm. and um and i don't know if it, maybe it's out of well maybe it is because we should have probably uh knew going in that because actually i knew going in that it might be an issue but i kind of dismissed it because mm -hmm. there it was it was a it was a project and there's money coming in um but cli clients that don't read contracts Mm. tend to be a problem <laughs> so as soon as we got those first you know after even during the site visit or um delivering the the first uh, set of, of drawings there was these conversations or these questions that were being brought up that were clearly outlined in the contract right that's right. it's, it's a client asking for one thing it's specifically excluded in the contract 
just little things like that. And uh, it came to a point where we had to say, hey, look, we, we, we're not going to be able to continue servicing you in the right way. Um, we're going to have to close out this contract and, and move on. Did you have to refund or did you keep the deposit? No, we, no, no. We, uh, we, there, so those contracts were written. We didn't ask for any money. So we, we closed the contract and canceled all the fees. Okay. So you never made money. You lost money then. You lost sweat equity and you lost. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. How much do you, can you quantify how much do you think you lost? Well, for the year for, for those projects, it was probably about four or six grand. Yeah, yeah. That what uh, that wasn't collected. Yeah, so not a ton, but you know, it, it's it's a good amount. Well, for a small business, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know what uh, I but, mean? but but the 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 other option would be is you drag it on, you continue to have issues, and and we we just I just wanted to avoid all that altogether. So it was your call. You said I'm out. Yeah. So you fired the client basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. Because yeah. I knew where it was going. I saw the direction of where the things were were going to end up or where they potentially could go. And, and how did they? Well, they couldn't complain too much because there was no money exchange, right? So they were no money exchange, and neither one of them ever replied to us in any way. Oh, okay. So they were like, yeah, they were out. They were like, yeah. The only damage could be maybe reputation a little bit on your end, like how they interpret it. Because maybe even if you were in the right, which, you know, obviously I got your back because, right. But, but even, you know, like that could, you know, cause our name is everything, right? Yeah. I mean, the only thing that, the only thing that I can add to that is that, you know, we're pretty, um, the way I work is pretty specific to what's, if we if we say we're going to deliver something, that's what we're going to deliver, right? It's pretty specific what's going to be out there, and if if you want additional, it's very specific how that additional work happens. And if you're not down with that, if you're not able to work in that way, then we can't work with you. Then, right? Let me ask you a question. So you're talking about scope of work. So when this is what I struggle with. So maybe I'm looking a little bit for advice on on this one. So I write a scope of work, and over the the years I've gotten. You know, you get a little season, you get burned a couple times, and you start, like, writing better and better scope of works, right? So, at this stage, it's this much, at this much, you get this much, you get two renderings, three revisions, like, so on and so forth, right? And you, like, really start outlining, like, the clear amount. Now, so, what I'm talking about now is scope creep, right? So, you write a very clear scope of work. And then the client asks for just a little bit more. Like, I quite don't understand this. Can I see this a little bit? How rigid do you need to be on the scope of work? Because if you're, this is my problem. If you're too crazy with it, right? And it's not that hard. Like, you gave them two revisions. Two revisions was all that was, all that was in the scope of work. And they're just like, hey, I can't quite understand it. Can you alter this or this I don't like? Now, if you do the hard line, like, I'm sorry, scope of work's at two, you know, blah, 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 you might turn them off, right? And if they're like an architect or developer, they might be like, okay, this guy's difficult to work with. Or do you just play that game and just be, you know, strong? Like, like it's a dance, right? It's the art. It's not, <laughs> I don't know. Do you even know what I'm asking? Like, I guess, yeah. how do you play yeah, yeah. the game between the scope of work and not upsetting your clients? Like, I think, uh, I mean, I'll give an example. One, one project recently, we delivered our sort of final concept plan that we had 
three meetings with the client to go over previous iterations. And this was sort of the final concept that they to get the buy off so we can move into the schematic set, right? So we delivered that, handed it over. They came back and asked, hey, we want to see dimensions on this plan. Even though it wasn't to scale, they wanted to see dimensions of the different areas. So that, I, th I thought, okay, well, it's going to take me 10, 15 minutes at the most to get dimensions on this plan and replied it and get it over to them. So, so that's fine. So I did so stuff like little stuff like that. I don't mind, especially if it's something that's going to clarify a little more to the client. Um, but if they had come back and asked, "Hey, we want to change the pool location," right, 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 <laughs> that's then story. that's and that's and, and I think I think uh, I think setting that expectation in the beginning, especially with this client, I was like, "Hey, look, this is make sure you read the contract because there's, there's an actual uh, description of how we handle additional services." Right. If it's not in the scope of work, this is what happens. We we're gonna get back to you with a a, a an additional serv a, a basically a change order, and we're gonna get your buy off on the uh, we're gonna get your approval on the fee, and then we could do the actual revision. So stuff like that. As long as it's early on the onset, and I know not a, like I said, not a lot of clients read through their entire contract, so they might not come up. But you have that document to refer back to. We all have iPhones and these contracts with these companies and you we like 99.99% of it just hit agree and move forward right so who knows what we're signing away so I'm wondering if that mentality and that culture kind of creeps into a little bit of how they approach like reading a scope of work contract with us and I'm curious should we at the beginning of projects in our like after like an initial meeting or say hey, I want to do a Zoom call with you and spend 15 minutes going over the scope of work so we're very clear, right? Like maybe that would be an approach. And again, I'm not offering advice. I'm just talking out loud and thinking about for myself. Like maybe that would be a good approach to clarify and avoid problems later on. Yeah, I think, I mean, that would be good. I think you might want to include that in your initial to cover your time, right? If you want to do that. Um, uh, for me, what I'd like to do is I just make it clear in the email, say, hey, please read through, you know, read through thoroughly at your convenience. There's a couple of items that will be necessary to move forward that you need to understand. It's some kind of wording that lets them know it's serious to read through it. And uh, it's, it's, you know, our contracts are, they're kind of lengthy, but they're not huge. And the wording is pretty, you know, it's not like it, it, there's legal stuff in there, but it's not something that's, you know, hard to to get grasp around did you have a lawyer help you prepare those did you write them and then have a lawyer uh, like review them yeah yeah so for the longest time we were using the um uh i think layer offers up like a, a some uh, contracts yeah a formal contract yeah so we had we were using some of the wording in there some of the language um but i did have a a, a, a lawyer review what we had and he they gave us some um tips and sort of uh just different ways of wording certain things that are more legal and how much did that cost? Uh, that one was it was six hundred bucks for them to review, review, and then and get back to us. Um, now, so now we have this more you know hard contract information, right? That's all in there. Regarding your your question with the the scope creep, just setting that expectation from the beginning of how to handle some of that some of those stuff. Because like I said, if it was that issue with the pool. That this this client specifically would have been fine with it. In fact, they would have probably known that that would have been an additional thing, especially this far into the to the project, um, because of that expectation set in the beginning with the contract information. 
how do you build do you build i mean how do you build do you do you like flat fee and then after you've reached your markers if there's revisions then you go hourly or do you is the whole thing hourly or how do you yeah it's for the most projects are fixed fees they're flat um and then we bill there's an initial sort of retainer fee what do you, what do you what's your retainer fee it's 10 percent Ten. I think that's yeah. I think that's the max that you can go as really? as, a, as contracted work. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I've been going a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you can't legal like since I'm a licensed landscape architect, it sort of works like a contractor in California. Where oh, 10% okay, okay. Is the, right. So that's that's our that's what we stick to. And then depending on what the project consists of, whether there's a, a an SD and a, and a CD phase, right? Then we kind of break it up that way. Um, but usually most projects that are like for example, a, a, a schematic plan set, right? Which is just, um, it, it's not construction documents, but it's got all the design details and maybe le- there's like a, a, a hydro zone plan and a planting plan. Um, so that would be like the 10% retainer. And then if there's a submit, there's like an initial sort of set of documents, like a, like a diagram and maybe some kind of and a meeting, then we build after that a portion of it. And then most clients, we don't build to the very end when we submit everything else so there's it breaks it up a little bit for them have you run into a situation where the client has held like their payment as leverage for you to do more work no 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 that's good um i have a client i have a client i have a project right now that it was that it was a contract it was signed off they paid for the initial fees and now that the project has been approved i went back to get the final closeout payment um, and for some reason, the owner of the company had no idea that this project was even a part of their work. At least this is the story I'm getting from them. And, um, and apparently they've had issues with the architect as well. So I don't think I'm going to get that last piece of payment. Is it um, significant? It's not, it's not a lot. Um, but it's, it's they, like, I don't know what's going on with them. They apparently this project was never approved or even though there's a signature. That's interesting. Yeah, it was weird. It's been weird. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to deal with this back and forth so I, I i'm just in my mind i know i'm not gonna get that yeah and if it comes it comes but but if you mentally remove it then okay i have one more question for you what's your favorite design phase schematic dd cd advanced cd uh i like the the dd schematic phase just because you get to do like you know stuff like this the, yeah, the hand-drawn the, the fun sketches stuff. yeah yeah um the the construction document stuff can be fun, especially with some of the some of the uh, more detailed uh, custom stuff that you got to sit down and kind of think about and, and think through. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason I got into landscape architecture was because of just being able to draw, hand draw, and, and sketch out stuff, right? So, like even now, I have a project that I have to um, uh, mark up and, and color render to get on a plan for them. So yeah, that's I think that's my favorite part for sure. And now you're primarily residential, but I think your aspirations are to go into civic and public. Yeah, yeah, we've been, that- we have we have we have uh, residential projects for the most right now. The majority is residential, um, but then we have a couple of of uh, commercial projects. Um, we have a couple of uh, public works projects that are still in the in the in the pre-construction phase, and um, pretty much anything, dude. Like we've been taking on a lot of different types of work. Yeah, and multifamily stuff. And how, how, um, how engaged are you with site visits and nursery tours and 
pretty when it calls for it like right now after this after this uh this call i'm gonna head over to a site visit in glendora to walk a site for a kickoff meeting right because uh, they're ready to install and we're meeting the contractor with the client and kind of going over the the site yeah that's part of our scope for the most part is to be able to be there when project starts um meetings although they happen a lot on on zoom right now that's beginning to change more and more to be on site so that's nice yeah for the most part it's me doing that work well thanks again man thanks for taking the time this is All awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, good luck with everything. We'll keep in touch. All right. Good luck with your kickoff. Thanks, man. All right. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.